Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Hello, my friend. How are you? You probably noticed if you're a regular listener that it's been quite a while since I have published an episode. That was not a planned break. What happened was um, I was seven months pregnant in January and I experienced what's called a placental abruption. Basically, um, I had to have an emergency C-section and my little baby daughter, Honora Marie, was unexpectedly born on January 11th. It was a very rough time for her preceding the delivery. So she has been in the NICU for um, the last six weeks. She's had to have two surgeries and she will need at least one more, if not two more surgeries. So um, bless her heart. We are so happy that she's here. And um, I really could use uh, prayers. If you can spare any, my little sweet girl has been diagnosed with cerebral palsy and um, an umbrella term called HIE, which basically means that her brain was deprived of oxygen and that has caused some problems for her GI tract as well. So we have just been living the NICU life. Um, My family has actually left our home and we are living with my parents because Honora had to be transferred from our local hospital to a hospital very close to DC where they have a lot of specialists to care for her. So this is an absolutely wild journey that we're on right now. You can go to my website, um, which is stacysummerow.com. I've been blogging about the experience if you want the details. It has been an absolutely transformative and extremely difficult, but extremely grace-filled time in my life. I can't even begin to describe the experience. So if you have been praying for my daughter, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, We named her Honora, which is spelled honor with an A. We named her after my great grandma. And uh, we didn't think about this at the time, but her middle name was Marie. So her name basically means honor Mary. Isn't that beautiful? What a neat coincidence, right? So please uh, pray for us. Hopefully we're back to regular programming now, although life ahead with a special needs baby might mean that I have to take more unexpected breaks, but um, I really have been looking forward to getting back to the podcast. So I'm thrilled to be here with you to bring you Father Gregory Pine, who is an amazing priest, a Dominican priest, one of the smartest people I have ever met before in my life. And you probably know him from the Pints with Aquinas podcast where he does a weekly question and answer, which is just an absolute delight to watch. So before we go over to the episode, I just want to assure you that the God's Adventure Awaits pilgrimage in 2021 is still happening. Yes, there has been a lot of drama in my life lately, but I am so, so, so excited to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land from January 17th to the 25th next year. And I want to invite you to journey with me. We're going to go to all of the sites of the Bible's most important moments and miracles. So think about the Mount of Olives, the Via Dolorosa, which 
which is where Christ carried his cross in Jerusalem, Mount Tabor, where Jesus was transfigured, Bethlehem and Nazareth. We've heard of these places, but you can actually experience them and allow these beautiful sacred sites to transform you. In addition, I've developed this totally unique program based on the church's rich discernment tradition to help you unlock your deeper purpose, achieving both new union with God and clarity about your life choices. People of all ages are so welcome, and I'm just loving seeing the registrations roll in. A number of young families with young children like mine have inquired how my husband and I are going to make this pilgrimage happen. So first of all, Nativity Pilgrimage is an amazing family-run company, and I cannot recommend them highly enough. They're very eager to work with you to find options that are going to work for your family. Second, uh, John and I have asked some generous family members who have agreed to care for our older two children while we are bringing our sweet new baby along. So, you know, I just figure if Mary can carry baby Jesus to Egypt on a donkey, I figure I can take my baby in a front pack carrier and just make it work. <laughs> so please come on over to stacysummerow.com slash pilgrimage. And that link is in the show notes to get your questions answered and to get all signed up. Please reach out and inquire. I would absolutely love to see you there. Before we dive in, I also want to tell you about today's episode sponsor, Catholic Match. It is the largest dating app specifically for Catholics. Some of you may know that I met my husband on Catholic Match, so of course I'm a fan. I know that the dating scene can be super, super stressful. When I was single, I had so many friends, but people would just kind of hang out instead of going on dates. Does that sound familiar? And I hear from my single friends that the situation is made even worse by the, by the pandemic this year. So when I created my free Catholic Match profile, I was really impressed to find many serious Catholics that I actually wanted to date. And it was so refreshing to be asked on actual dates, not just these non-specific hangouts. Plus, when we went on a date, we already knew that we had our Catholic faith in common, and that's an enormous plus. I am just one of many Catholic Match success stories, including a number of my married friends. Online dating is the new norm, and Catholic Match makes it super easy to get started. You can create a profile in minutes and see who else is around on the site for free. If you're a regular listener of mine, you know that always... I'm always saying that discerning your vocation requires both prayer and action. If you are ready to create your Catholic love story, visit catholicmatch.com slash called and caffeinated. Yes, that link is in the show notes and get signed up and started for free. All right, without further ado, let's head on over to our episode with Father Gregory Pine. All right. Father Gregory Pine, thank you so much for being with me here on Pints with the Quiet. I mean, um, called and caffeinated. Nice. Yeah. It. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a caffeinated beverage? I know it's 8 p.m. Um, there, right? So I have this tumbler. I won't tell you what's inside though. All right, I'll tell you what's inside. There's nothing inside. So I brought it as a I brought it as a prop. Um, I remember you told me to bring something. <laughs> And then I was like, I just can't. I can't. You get a pass because it's 8 p.m. So, Thank right? You. Is that right? Yes. It 2 p.m. my time. Okay. Correct. You're fine. Actually, more than half my guests on the show don't drink coffee. And when I started the show, I was like, everybody loves coffee. Like, we're going to have amazing conversations over coffee. Yeah. And then yeah, half, yeah. half my guests are like, I'm drinking water, drink a coffee, <laughs> drink a decaf, whatever. Decaf is fine. Decaf is fine. But they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Or they'll be like, no, I already have my coffee. I'm like, womp womp. You clearly didn't read the questions. Yeah. But, no. No. No, I read them. I just spurned them. I drink coffee. 
Um, I couldn't actually for a while. check this out for a while. This is boring, but who cares? Um, my life is boring. So the things that we're going to get to are also boring. So from boring to boring, it's like from grace to grace, except different. Um, I had this problem with my throat for a while where I couldn't drink or eat a bunch of stuff and I still uh, can't eat or drink a handful of things, but the, hmm. the list is shorter. Thanks be to God. But there was a while where I couldn't drink alcohol and I couldn't drink coffee and blah, blah, blah. Cry me a river. Who gives a rip? Um, but you know, like every time I would be on pints with Aquinas, Matt Frad would be like, and what are you drinking? <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm drinking water or I'm drinking this ginger turmeric tea. And I just felt like <laughs> such a tool. I mean, I am, but I, I felt it acutely and especially in those moments. So now I can drink beer again. Thanks be to God. Really do. But, um, so yeah, I can, like, I can ante up and, and just do that. Although I forgot it. the last eight times, whatever, who cares? Yeah, you get it. <laughs> But I, I do have a question for you actually about that because I have seen you drinking coffee or at least I've seen Matt Frad drinking coffee on Pints with Aquinas. And I've literally never even talked to Matt Frad before, but um, I was thinking, I was like, I have no problems whatsoever with his show, but <clears throat> just one categorically, doesn't it make, if he's hosting Pints with Aquinas yeah. and he's drinking coffee on Pints with Aquinas, yeah. he's betraying his namesake. Doesn't that make my show just categorically superior with well, caffeinated in the name? That's bold. Um, it's hard to say. Um, I think that this would be kind of like a, a good Ecclesiastes moment. You know, like each thing is beautiful in its time, you know, for every season, turn, 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 as made famous by the birds. Um, so there's a time to drink coffee and there's a time to drink alcohol. And That's I think, um, you know, like maybe Americans have somewhat... Um, what would I say? Disordered sensibilities about the consumption of alcohol. I'm not saying that they drink too much or that they drink too little. I'm just thinking mm -hmm. like because of prohibition, you know, things got wonky and yeah. we attributed moral significance to a thing which typically didn't have that much moral significance or the type of moral significance that we attributed to it. Mm -hmm. And so now we're like kind of coming back into a healthy drinking culture as signaled by like, you know, the proliferation of microbreweries. You can get all mm -hmm. kinds of flavored beers these days, some of which taste like somebody ashed a cigarette in a cup of water. Yes, um, they do. It's a pilsner. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, you can find all kinds of things. And I think probably what he is doing is um, he's enculturating his listeners into a healthy drinking culture. And so he doesn't want to scandalize is. because they know that he might record at 9 a.m. or he might record at 9 p.m. And if he were to drink at all times, they would suspect him of being a wine bibber and a drunkard like the Lord before him. And so he's just, he's slow playing. I've never spoken about this theme, but um, that's my inventive You should ask him next time. Actually, that, yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. I read somewhere that... Um, <laughs> don't give me much... Don't agree with me. I don't deserve <laughs> to be agreed with. <laughs> no, I hadn't thought it... Well, I hadn't thought of it in quite that way. I think because you're smarter than I am, I'm just going to agree with you for this whole interview. So I'm just going to... I'm either going to ask you questions. No, okay. Well... Fruitful dialogue comes as a result of direct contrariety. We'll see Is how this word? goes. Contrariety. Contrary. 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 I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah. Never when thought about that. fails, just use the adjective. Comes as a result <laughs> of being contrary. There you go. Um, I read somewhere that the more Catholic a campus is, the more orthodox it is. It's like, if it's less Catholic, they drink more beer. If it's more Catholic, they drink like scotch and they smoke cigars. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. It's like indirect proportion. So probably yeah, yeah, yeah. Franciscan, they would probably be like, you know, smoking their cigars with some scotch or something like that. Right. Drinking yeah. pack of Van Winkle 23. Um, <laughs> that's actually, that's fascinating because sometimes actually when I, so I, I preached a men's retreat recently, I will not say where, I will not say to whom, um, but 
I was like giving kind of inventive advice on how to live virtuously. Mm. And I was thinking like, okay, things that you wouldn't ordinarily envision in terms of virtue, I think it's good to bring them into the sphere of virtue. Not so that you can be moralizing and be like, now I have rules for more of my life. Um, but that's so that you can think about your life as, you know, something whole. Um, something mm -hmm. integral, something that's trained on happiness and which ought to be conducted in that direction. And there aren't mm -hmm. like exceptions to that. Like this is a happiness choosing act. And this is like a lay on my floor in a pool of my own self-pity act. It's like, no, those, those things are all under the same category. And so I was saying like, you guys should drink better alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's like, uh, for instance, when you buy natural ice, there are a few people in the world who actually like it. There's some people yeah. who like rusty beer, um, which, you know, it's whatever, degustibus. Um, but most people don't like rusty beer. So if you, if you buy that, you're buying it because it's a cheap way to consume, yeah. you know, international beverage units, um, which is, which is whatever, but you could also just like dehydrate yourself and then do a headstand and experience something similar and it's free, you know? Um, so I was like, no, no, no. So my counsel to them was, you know, you got your, you got your alcohol budget, spend it on good things, mm -hmm. right? Good things where you're like, not that you're becoming like all elitist about it, where you're like, oh, do you pick up on the tasting notes of dried fruit and fresh <laughs> herbs? It's like, no, no. Okay. Like bourbon, for instance, only tastes like three things. It tastes like vanilla. It tastes like caramel and it tastes like oak. If anyone says anything else, they're making it up. It's controversial. But I said like, yeah, like invest in better alcohol because then you can actually have like a culture that's contemplative, that's leisurely. That's right. like life-giving rather than one that's like, all right, step one, start drinking. Step two, there is no step two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So as a Dominican, do you, you share that you're allowed to have beer? Do you also mm. have, are you allowed to have like hard liquor and stuff if you want to? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think, okay. I think some would, um, balk at that. Like some religious would balk at that because of the poverty or because of like the expense mm -hmm. or like basically the association in people's mind between liquor and higher price. So they wouldn't want to give scandal, you know, which, which I understand, yeah. but yeah. no, there's, there's like a long, long, long tradition in Christendom of alcohol and religious life. All the best yeah. stuff basically comes from monasteries. So yeah. Gotcha. That's Party true. On. Chartreuse. Yeah. Yeah. I have yet to try chartreuse but when i'm not pregnant that would be great but i love yeah. what you're saying about just savoring your life i heard of um yeah my sister went to thomas aquinas college and i know that uh one of the i don't know if it was one of the professors there or something used to have um dinner parties with like wine and music pairings and pairing that with the food as well and i just think that's such a beautiful thing to celebrate these senses that we've been given like it's just such a basic you know, yeah. such a basic need being met, but in like a really elaborate way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to say things. I went to Steubenville and um, my yeah. senior year, I got involved with communion. Uh, speak clearly, young man. Uh, communion and liberation, uh, yes. which whenever people hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, that must be wildly unorthodox. False. Um, it's awesome. It's, ba it's based out of, uh, I guess, Milan, Italy. Okay. And um, so it's a lay ecclesial movement with different aspects to it. But it was founded by Monsignor Luigi Gisani. And the whole idea is like the journey to the truth is an experience, right? So it's mm -hmm. about kind of weighing your life in a way that's um, engaged. And they threw like the best jammers. It was incredible. Um, awesome. They have retreats and like they'd start the retreats by listening to some piece of classical music, which I was, you know, 
kind of incapable of appreciating because I'm a brute. Um, but then you'd have some spiritual conferences and then you'd have something, you know, like liturgical or paraliturgical. And mm-hmm. then you'd go to somebody's house and like Kiara at the stove would make homemade pasta sauce from like four ingredients and mm-hmm. she'd have it all shipped from Milan, you know, like express mail from her mother. Um, and then <clears throat> somebody else would be like stirring this huge polenta pot <clears throat> and somebody else was like dishing out risotto over here. These are all like it. heavy carb things. So probably not all of these occurred in the same evening, but then they'd sing like delightful music. Uh, they so drink good. alcohol, they'd smoke Tuscan cigars and they enjoy each other's company. Mm. Right. And it was the type of thing where I was like, where, 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 where have I been? You know, like mm. this is just so delightful. This is so good. And it gives a peculiar kind of testimony to the fact that like life is to be lived, mm. not to say that life is mm-hmm. to be drunk away um, or smoked into oblivion, but the, like life is for living. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know that I have a more profound point to make than that, but it was very good. Yeah, for me. it's just a new way of doing it. Like I've started making, um, so I grow my own tomatoes and basil, and then I've started making my own pasta sauce. Oh and I gosh. have like been doing research on how to make like the perfect Italian pasta sauce. And I got to say this year, I think I got it right in some wow. of the batches. And I had this one tomato plant that was given me, I think it gave me 60 tomatoes over the course of the season. It was incredible. So I have so much tomato sauce that I have frozen yeah. in my freezer right now. But the experience of like, just opening a jar of tomato sauce from for 88 cents from Aldi versus mm-hmm. uh, trying your own tomato sauce is so different when you have made it yourself and you've lo- watched those tomatoes grow from seeds. It, yeah, it really does. I think I think it's so easy to get so much stuff now that it appreciating the fine, just appreciating where things come from, first of all, and then appreciating the the company and, you know, really living through all of those things. It's harder to do. Um yeah, it's. Uh, I don't have a more perfor- profound point either, but maybe That's people fine. here will be inspired to go make their own tomato sauce or buy some. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love bourbon. how like unintentionally crunchy this conversation is getting because like That's now great. I'm thinking about like places where I've had vegetables that actually taste like something. Because my experience mm. of tomatoes is typically that they don't taste like anything. The outside <gasps> of the tomato is kind of. Um, it's like cellophane. Can you picture that kind of cellophane yes. feel? Or like uh, the outside of a tomato rips more than it actually tomatifies, if that's tragic. Gross. It's not, tragic. but it is. And then <laughs> the insides, size. you're like, look at all of these gross seeds. I wonder what these will taste like. The answer, I will tell you, it tastes like nothing. Okay, they taste like texture. Unless you get plum tomatoes and they're like, these are a little heartier. I think I'll make myself some bruschetta, right? But like you get good it's tomatoes sad. and you're like, good night. These things taste great. And you get like good lettuce yeah. and you're like, this has a feel to it, right? My it's gosh. velvety. There's like it's something amazing. happening. All right. Oh, and you yeah. don't have a clue to quote Lion King. Um, <laughs> right? So I don't want to keep blathering you. about things that are unrelated to the theme that you actually want to discuss. But if you want me to make a wild transition from the Go texture of lettuce <laughs> to what are we talking about? Prudence? We're talking about discerning life, right? We are. We are talking about discernment. Yeah. Yeah. Go yes. for it. Yes. Okay. So let, yep, Go for here it. it comes. Ready? So <laughs> Ready. the big point is that it's about being sensitive to what is to the real. Okay. Mm, okay. Keep going. Love so the it. Point, the point of discernment, you ready for this, um, yeah. is to become who you're meant to be. All right. And you're like, wow, I didn't know that I had employed like an inspirational speaker to come and engage my <laughs> eighth grade class. You be you. <clears throat> no. What do I mean? Okay. So like we are the type of things that are on the way, right? So we're not at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when anyone says like, you're just perfect, they don't actually mean that. Okay. Like if you were to look at your three-year-old and you were to say, you, my friend, have it all going for you. What I want from you for the rest of your life is precisely nothing. In fact, we're going to chemically stunt your growth. We're going to keep you out of school. 
Okay. And I don't want you engaging with other human beings. I'd be like, wow, that's crazy. All right. Let me get on Google voice. All right, because I, I can't make calls <laughs> to the United States otherwise. So one, eight, seven, seven, four, uh, child. Okay. We're going to, we're going to need some help here. You know? Okay. So like we're on the way and how yeah. do you get to the goal, mm-hmm. the destination, which is being a saint, you know, for the, like, for the glory of God, it's to engage with what is actually real. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people spend their lives with things that aren't real. Right. One of which things, and this is where I live when I'm being an idiot, um, is like in our own psychological states. Yes. Right. So I would submit to you, there's some reality to be had between your ears, but there's just not that much. (laughs) 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 Certainly not enough to detain us as much as we are detained Mm. by those thoughts. That's so so interesting. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's like a framer. Okay. Like discernment or like making choices that redound. um, Yeah. To your happiness and God's glory is ultimately about like getting in there with real tomatoes and velvety lettuce. Some velvety lettuce. So, okay. I love this. Actually, I've just been hearing that like the suicide rates now are higher than they have ever been. You mm-hmm. know, so I actually think this is probably an extremely timely conversation because even those of us who aren't looking to, you know, anywhere close to jumping off a bridge um, are still going through so much up here. And I know like for women, that's like the struggle of life, right? (laughs) When I go give a talk to women, I'm like, ladies, you know, when you hear like a hundred voices in your head and all the girls are like, yes. I'm like, guys, I don't know how this works for you or if this happens for you, but this is the story of our lives. So um, I think a lot of discernment and I find this often with people, a lot of discernment is just uh, clearing away the weeds so you can plant those seeds and the seeds are really simple usually, but clearing away the weeds is often a lot more work because people, um, people are scared. People are afraid of failure. They're afraid of, you know, just stepping out and trying something new. And often it's just like, it's just taking one step, putting one foot in front of the other, um, that, that actually gives you the answer and it's action so much more than like thinking about it. Um, yeah. So, okay. Before we get too much farther in that, I love the framework that we set up here. Um, what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what has receiving those calls looked and felt like for you? Excellent. I love it. Um, so what I've been called to short answer is I have no idea. Um, but I think that I've been called to be Christian, right. To like go to Steubenville to join the Dominicans, to be a priest. Those, those would be like concrete things to which I think I am called. Um, you know, kind of apart from that, I think that I've done some things and that other things have happened as a result of those things. Stuff could have gone otherwise, you know, but mm-hmm. it went this way, for which I'm grateful, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not regretful, but um, also like not entirely convinced that this was the best possible way. I just know it's the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so what, is it, what does it mean for me? Speak, speak clearly, speak simply, Father Gregory. Um, what does it mean for me to like be called? I think that like basically the Lord makes you a certain way, all right, with a particular temperament in a particular family, um, as, as, as supported by a particular community, as educated in a certain context, as in a time and place. Uh, sorry, I'm like squirming over here. I'm tucking my legs under my chair. Cause I'm just, you gotta do, you yes. got one of those habits on, so you gotta, yeah. I've also got bit. like limbs that just, yeah. All right. So, um, 
Right. So I think that like, what, what does it mean for you to be called? It means for you to respond generously given what you are, where you are, who you are, when you are. Okay. And I think that means being in tune with who you are, what you love and how God is healing and elevating those desires. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, I think I probably could have gotten married and been happy. I could have gotten married to like person A or person B or person C. I don't know that I'm especially good at the courting of any of those persons. So I wouldn't go on listing beyond that, lest I sound, you know, very accomplished in the dating scene. Um, <laughs> right, but like, I, I'm not like a big fan of soulmate theories, which, no, which describe, describe being called in terms that are like super, super concrete and mm -hmm. almost deterministic. Like God has this plan and you can either blow it and be miserable or mm -hmm. figure it out by your own genius and then be head over heels happy. It's like, mm -hmm. ah, I mean, I don't know. So like, how has the Lord made his will known? I mean, he, he, I mean, he, get, he, he made me Christian, you know, like he, he poured grace into my soul. Mm -hmm. He had me born into a family with like two really good parents, very faithful parents, um, loving sisters and a brother. And, you know, like I went to a, good school, decent school. And I was encouraged by friends and I just kind of like found myself where I am. But mm -hmm. as to like, did I choose any of those things? I mean, kind of, you know, like I didn't, I didn't really resist the tendency of the Lord's indications that led me in those directions. But I don't think that I was like, you know, like using all of my brain power, exercising Herculean moral courage, or like, I don't know, like really figuring much out. I think it just kind of all fell in my lap. So is that, mm -hmm. if that's what it means to be called, then yeah, I was, I was called to these things. Mm. How did you first get in touch with the Dominicans? Uh, with a book, in a book, by a book, through a book. I struggle with prepositions. <laughs> by means of a book. Just use them all. Exactly. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, as of or pertaining to a book. Um, so, if you, you ever come across Louis DeWall, I don't know if he actually pronounced his name, but... Mm, my husband probably has, but I have not. Not, I mean, just like a dude who wrote books, wrote, writes. <laughs> I just combined I the it. past and the present tense because he did really it in good. the past, but he wrote stories, which should be described in the historical present. So I was trying to give you a little combo factor. There you um, go. That was skillful. Wrapped it you. all up. Thank you. Um, so Word he, economy. Yep. He wrote, <laughs> he wrote books like late 40s to, I want to say, the 60s, historical mm -hmm. fiction, lives of saints. He wrote this one about St. Thomas Aquinas, which is super charming. If I were to go back to it, I might think differently. But at the time when I was 19, I was, I loved it. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that summer, what did I do? I went to Medjugorje that summer and then I came back and then I was nannying for my cousins in Portland, mm -hmm. Maine. And I had oodles of time to read because they kept a light social calendar and they're like, yeah, you be you. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> um, so I read this book and I was just really inspired by the way that St. Thomas Aquinas loved, loved the Lord. Yeah. Um, so I'd been, I'd been encouraged to pick up the book because I had gone to a lecture at, at Steubenville by a professor from St. Louis University named Eleanor Stump. And she wrote and well, she spoke on Aquinas on the nature of love. And that mm. was the first encounter that I'd had with his theology, which I found really, mm. really, really engaging. Like it was, she was giving kind of, um, I don't know, a basic kind of philosophical description of how we are to understand love and kind of how we're to operationalize it as it were. Mm. And I was just like, dude, this is great. Um, and so that's, that's kind of got me interested in St. Thomas. I picked up that book. And at the end of it, I was like, yeah, I want to become a, a Dominican priest at which point nice. I hadn't actually met a living one. So. Mm, very interesting. Okay. So then you had to translate from head into like living 
heart. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What did that look like? Ooh. I mean, your heart was already in love with, with, with Thomas Aquinas, but you were, you had to find out about the lifestyle. And it's interesting you're saying this because my husband actually did the same thing as you. Okay. He read, oh, I can't remember what the book is. Uh, uh, Twilight. He- Harry Potter. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep guessing. I'll keep guessing. Hunger Games. I wanna, wait, was it Thomas Merton? <laughs> keep going. Keep going. It was Thomas Merton. It's something with Thomas Merton. And he fell in love okay. with the Carthusian way of life without okay. without ever having actually met them before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, so that translation from like, love this now into my real life. Like, how does that, uh, how did that work for you? Yeah. You mentioned you dated some girls. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so like i i would say this um i am a prideful human being right and the lord sees fit to humble prideful human beings uh yeah according to his own timing and his perfect providence and for whatever reason like that would have been a perfect opportunity to humble me i was like i'm going to become a dominican priest i am so confident i am so capable i am so ready and then he could have been like you're an idiot and i would have been like fair enough and then he could have been like all right do this other thing and i'd be like right but for whatever reason it ended up like horseshoes and hand grenades you know when you throw kind of errantly for days and days and days eventually you hit your target or come close enough so i just i happened upon it first mm-hmm. try which is cool mm-hmm. That's um, awesome. so i started visiting the community which was great um mm-hmm. and i found the liturgy very beautiful the emphasis on study and preaching very beautiful and when i went to a vocation weekend one of my you know, friends, mentors, uh, one of the priests in the province to whom I look up the most. He, um, yeah, he gave this lecture about a simple line that St. Thomas wrote. It's to kind of, it's basically when you translate this text from his Summa Theologiae, it reads to contemplate and uh, to give to others contemplata, which means like either contemplated things or, or God himself contemplated. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he said like basically the, the, the vocation of a Dominican friar is to himself be transformed by the mysteries of Christ's life, which mysteries are kind of made available in the church and applied through the sacraments. But in a peculiar way, a Dominican seeks to conform himself to Christ in those mysteries through a contemplative life. Hmm. And then he turns his face, as it were, to the people of God. And it's supposed to be like in his transfigured visage. They're supposed to see like, wow, God lives, right? The Lord Jesus is risen. He's changed the humanity of this man. And this man is able to give testimony to a God whom he has seen. Mm. Um, And so there's a kind of overflow from that contemplative act, which spills over the bottom lip of the preacher and flows forth in a tumble of words, which words are supposed to give concrete expression to the vocation itself. So I, um, I heard this and I was like, yeah, let's go. Um, And so, yeah, I kept visiting and there are things about it that I didn't like, uh, I would say that socially, yeah, socially I exhibit decent amounts of anxiety. I'm kind of like introverted person. And um, if people aren't talking in a conversation circle, I'm like, I'm responsible for making this conversation happen. (laughs) Let us find common themes of interest. Um, And uh, if you ever sit down at a table with like five Dominicans, they just like look around and like, you guys want to talk about something we could all just be silent and eat our food and i was like "Ah." Um, so that was that was tough but you know you make it through you make it through that's that's so funny that's so interesting you're the one carrying the conversation actually i know one other dominican father aquinas beale and um, he seems like one of the ones who would be totally just like all about the contemplation during (laughs) mealtime 
Wow, I'll tell him you said that. I'll tell him uh, you said that. He's a he's a dear soul. Do you see, do you know him well? Were you I do. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in okay. formation. Yeah, we overlap for three four years. So I want to I want to read you a quote of yours. Um, I Whoa. loved. Yeah, I know. Uh, here here it comes. You're like oh sweating. Um, so you were part of our God's Adventure Awaits Summit this past year, which is about vocational discernment. And I loved there was a talk that you were able to contribute, which was um, the theology of vocation according to Saint Thomas Aquinas. Did I get that yeah. title right? Sounds right. Okay. All right, so this is like my favorite discernment quote of all time. So I'll just read it to you. Um, so you said this, what is it that you love? What kind of wild and marvelous holy daydreams do you have about ministry and apostolate and giving testimony to the glory of God in your life? It doesn't have to be complicated or induce anxiety, and it shouldn't be something that occasions analysis paralysis because ultimately God gives the growth and he trains up our desires and he will draw us to himself until we are ready to embrace that for which we are made. So I think that just sums up so much about discernment in such a beautifully simple way. Um, but I'd love to hear more about the part of, well, any comment you have to offer on that, but also about embracing that for which we are made and God kind of drawing up our desires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do I, okay. So <clears throat> I think that God makes us differently, right? So I think we begin there because you can just ask like, what's the point of creation? Uh, creation is mm -hmm. not to serve God's needs, right? right? Or God's lack, because God doesn't have needs and God does not lack. Mm -hmm. So creation is, by contrary, by contrast, to the contrary, by contrast. <laughs> Woo! Those prepositions. Doing great. Doing great. Yeah. <laughs> um, right? So it's, it's, it's to give testimony, right? It's to yes. make manifest how good God is. But God, you know, like you can't, you can't sum God up with one created thing. And so he, he creates a variety of excellent created things, all of which um, kind of when taken together, give you just a hint or a taste, but each contributes in its own way. Right. Mm. So I would say like each individual human being is meant or intended to give testimony to God's glory in a way uniquely suited to, to him or her. So the question for you is not so much like, how do I become a saint like X, Y, or Z other person? right? Mm -hmm. Whom I idolize or whom I envy or by whose witness I'm actually depressed because it's so far beyond what I am capable of. The question mm -hmm. is like, what is God doing in you? Like respond to that. All yeah. right. And how, how does one determine what God is doing in her? Well, um, by consenting to and cooperating with the graces that God is actually giving you, mm -hmm. right? So not like lamenting past graces that you may have forfeited or like lusting after future graces, which may never actually be given. You know, like, I just can't wait until God makes me the most excellent figure skater, you know, in U.S. history. She's <laughs> like, dude, get over it. Been done. Um, <clears throat> so, things like that, I think, actually hamstring our efforts to give concrete witness to God's glory. When in truth, in fact, you might have talents that are humble, um, that are seemingly insignificant, that are weird, okay? You could be like the best what are weird things um what are weird things that i do so that way i'm not like accusing anyone i'm just owning it <laughs> you could have like a very refined sense of smell okay yeah. and you could work in the yankee candle lab right so as to determine what sense will actually best induce christmas cheer because mm -hmm. bringing christmas cheer is actually a way of bringing glory to god because i can tell you like there's a serious dearth of christmas cheer in some parts mm -hmm. and if singing loud for all to hear doesn't do it, you know, especially as sung loud by Zoe Deschanel, right? Then you're going to need Yankee candles. And right, those right. Yankee candles are going to bring Christmas cheer. They're going to have to smell good. And if you have the best nose and the best palate for that, then get after it. 
Okay. Don't think like, I don't know if I have the time to dedicate to Yankee candle smelling because that's weird and I should do something normal. No, it's like you, you, you just be, you be you in this regard. All right. Get yeah. after the candles. Um, <laughs> so that's a bizarre example. Maybe that's not the most illustrative, but what I'm trying to say is it. that yeah. like God is making you a saint in a way that's particular and peculiar. And we draw encouragement from the lives of the saints right? We draw concrete inspiration from them. And it is good to model your lives on those who have gone before us. But with the understanding, like God is doing something unique. God is doing something different. Mm -hmm. And the way that he's going to make that known is by the desires that he has breathed into mm -hmm. your heart. All right. And, and mind you, those desires just can't be like followed uncritically. You know, like what I really want to do is go bungee jumping with a cord that's actually half severed so I can show how much I trust Jesus. It's like, no, that's, that's there's a word for that. It's suicide. Bad idea. Right. So we need to criticize those desires. And what, yeah. what is the best for critiquing desires that are fallen? Well, grace, because grace mm -hmm. heals those desires and it elevates those desires and it doesn't repress or suppress or oppress them. I don't even know if any of those things actually apply, but it draws them out, right? Mm -hmm. It actually makes them more pronounced, more express and, and effectively um, like more visible. So that way you, yeah, like we, we, we do no one any good by being like, you know what? I just want what God wants. Well, it's like, what do you want? Okay. Because that's what God is working with. Mm -hmm. if you're like, I'll do whatever he asks of me. I've just been listening for 57 years and never heard. You know, I've always really wanted to crochet like a fiend, but I need to set that aside because there's got to be a place in my heart for God's call. It's like, start crocheting now. Okay. And if God <laughs> wants to redirect the course of your crocheting, he'll make it known. But what would be the point in God creating you as he has created you if he intended for that never to actually be, you know, like operationalized or set in motion. I'm going right. to stop. I love it. That, okay. That was so much in there. Um, I think one of the things that you touched on, which I think is so beautiful is you just said very simply give testimony to God in your life. Like you're giving testimony to God in your life. That's the point. The point isn't to be productive. And we've, so many people are talking about this now because we are such a productive society. So we are called to a certain work or a certain thing that we are supposed to do, but the yeah. point isn't to be productive to produce something. That's not the point of our lives. And I feel like we're always, as a, you know, as a Christian, you're always trying to come back from like, oh, I need to produce more. I need to do more. I need to, you know, in order to be this thing I'm supposed to be, I need to do all this work. And there's, you know, a lot of people have said, we're not human doings, we're human beings. But at the whoa. same time too, yeah, what? But at the same time too, mm. uh, we are supposed to produce something. We are supposed to do some kind of work. But I love yeah. how the work is just um, the, the whole whole point of the work is to give testimony to the glory of God. And that can look like so many different things. And I think it just, for me hearing that, it takes the pressure off of needing to, to give testimony to God in a way that the world says, yep, that's, that's, that's worth it. That's relevant. That's good. That's, you know, does that make sense? You yeah, know, yeah. money, money, power, fame, whatever of those things that we're supposed to be giving, achieving. Um, it could be having a really good sniffer and, getting those Yankee candles out the door. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I I have a variety of thoughts to volley back. One, your backdrop is immaculate. It's pristine actually. And I'm thinking about it by comparison to my own. Um, because on, on, on that hutch over there, I have, um, a Christmas gift that I'm going to open nice. up here pretty soon. Boots, trekking poles, uh, gaiters, crampons, a winter cap, ski gloves, and, um, exercise headphones. When That's in just Switzerland, strewn about there. I mean, I'm actually kind of, 
I went from being embarrassed to being proud actually about it now. So you should father Gregory, you need to have like a, like an REI, you know, like a camping glamping show. Yes. No, that's next. That can be the okay. next show. But, <laughs> but thank apropos- you. this is my bedside table and I'm actually, I have my computer. Um, so my bed is right over here and you do not want to see the four loads of laundry next to it. And then also yeah, no. my, my, I, I had my husband shift the dresser over so that we could put the, com- the computer on top. So there's a whole mess of wires and cords. So it only looks nice from here. But, but that's thank great. You. I appreciate that. No, that's thank great. You. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, Fake it till you make it. And then apropos of what you just said, I think I may have actually forgotten the comment that I was going to make. So you're talking about doing, oh, efficiency. Yeah, what's up? Um, I think that that huge emphasis needs to be placed in the fact that everyone has a contemplative vocation. Okay, so I said like our desires need to be criticized. And you made this point about we're we're not human doings, we're human beings, but also that um, with this big push for efficiency, uh, it can end up becoming dehumanizing. And you're not going to give concrete testimony to God if you're not a human being, because you are intended to glorify God as a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Not as a machine, not as a monster. And for me, okay, so this is chastening because I am a human machine, right? I am an, an efficiency monster. And I get super thrown for a loop when like things cramp my efficiency style. So like today, for instance, I was sharing with you before we push record that I spent like the better part of three hours on this. Um, what would I call it? A mm, Crusade. Mm, so I would say a pilgrimage, except that okay. that signifies that I'm coming to a place of higher enlightenment, which I don't <laughs> think is actually what happened. I would say um, death March maybe, or hellscape to kind of paint a more atmospheric picture, right? So I spent like three hours trying to ship a package and it stank and I was getting myself super tuned up because like I was losing out or I was missing out or I was not Mm. being most effective because I'm supposed to do whatever, like 32 hours worth of work on my dissertation and 10 hours worth of work on this thing on prudence and then blah, 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 and thus and such. And I try to write like, keep it pretty tight. But what ends up happening is I dehumanize my approach to life. And as a result of which, I begin to treat other people as obstacles, right? Or I treat other people as impediments to my Mm. attaining of my goals. But if your goals don't entail other human beings, your goals are false, right? Your goals are wrong. Now, I'm not saying you throw everything over the side and just hang out on your front porch and just wait for people to toddle by so you can engage them creepily in conversation. I'm not saying that, right? The things need to get done. But I think the things will get done, right? The things will get done. And the point is to like retain a hold on the Lord and retain a hold on your humanity so that as he heals and elevates your desires, you can be recollected in what it is that he's concretely calling you to, right? Because mm-hmm. if you just set out, you know, like kind of social justice warrior style on doing the things and doing them as efficiently as possible, you can end up losing your faith, right? Because you lose touch yeah. with the God who inspires that work and for whom it is conducted. I think that's a big struggle for a lot of youth ministers, a lot of people who work for the church, because there's so many things to be done. Yeah. It's also a struggle for me as a mother, because I'm like, I'm trying to get my kids out the door and I'm like, we are having a meltdown because you can't get your shoes on and I'm trying to help you and you don't want me to help you. And the point is we have to get out the door and go to the park to get your energy out today. But the point really isn't to get out the door and go to the park. The point is to give my children an experience that is going to enrich their day the point is to be their mother and and sometimes you can get so focused on like we have to go and do this thing now and i have to always come back to okay what is the what's the larger point here it's not it's not hey we had a good day because we hit all of our quotas of you know uh playing on the park for playing at the park for x number of minutes or whatever it's it's that through the the putting on the, the shoes experience they learned something 
about God through me, or <laughs> maybe I'm universalizing this too much, but, but yeah, like um, the, you know, the, um, I, I guess I hadn't thought of it quite that way of, of like being a contemplative, but what is the point of, what is the point of our day? It's not to pass the time in this way, this way, this way, this way. It's even, it's to guide them to be the people God's calling them to be. Wow. That is, I will be thinking about that a lot. Yeah. That's and really this good. brings us back to velvety lettuce and to delicious tomatoes, right? Yeah. The point is to engage with what is real and mm -hmm. having contemplative habits of mind and heart help you to recognize those things and to engage with them more fruitfully. So mm -hmm. what are you doing? You're raising human beings, right? You're forming saints mm -hmm. and you can do that while putting on shoes. You can do that at the park. You can do that in a car accident. You can do that in all kinds of settings, right? Yeah. Some more and some less traumatic, but just because they may or may not align with or, um, you know, kind of correspond to the plan as mm -hmm. previewed at the beginning of the day, doesn't necessarily mean that they're better at worse, better or worse at forming. There's one thing that's bad for forming. Okay. Mm -hmm. and that's deliberate sin, but even that the Lord can use, right? Even that, like, even in those contexts, the Lord can be permitting and then drawing back, reforming, reshaping. Notice like the Christian is not encouraged to regret subsequent mm. to sin. The Christian is encouraged to be penitent, which is to say that sin becomes fodder for growth and virtue, right? So I think that like mm -hmm. the point of, you know, emphasizing this contemplative thing is to, the point is to hold Christ's gaze, right? It's to mm -hmm. look Christ in the face so that you can judge how to gauge this situation based on his reaction, as it were. And maybe that's a little too like wonky and personalistic and I'm getting out yeah. some of my Italian sensibilities here, but like, <laughs> that's the I point. love it. No, that's right. the point. Like, I, I mean, I need to finish a dissertation or my province is going to be like, Hey, you're a slob and I'm never going to assign you ever again to anything because you stink. I'll be like, okay, yep. Great point. Point taken. Wonderful. Right. So I need to do the thing. Right. But I think that mm -hmm. the thing is going to get done because why? Well, because I know from past experiences that the other things have gotten done. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So yep. like the Lord proved himself faithful. Yeah. Also, I trust like the assignment of my legitimate superiors. I trust the talents that the Lord has given me. I trust that even if I feel this kind of, I don't know what you would call it, like a sentiment of panic that in each passing moment, I'm not doing enough or I'm not accomplishing enough yet that needs to be banished, you know, like whether yeah. my methods of cognitive behavioral therapy or like by just sitting in the presence of the blessed sacrament, I need to train my mind to stop freaking out. Uh, because it's yeah. it's enough. The Lord has promised to give me enough, and that's mm. good. That's beautiful. Yeah, I've heard you say in other interviews, um, you are saved according to how you were made. So, mm. what does that mean, and how in the heck does that apply to discernment? Yeah, is also is that a Thomas Aquinas quote? Basically, or a Thomistic not really. principle. Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Saint Thomas repeats that uh, grace does not destroy nature. Mm -hmm. uh, but it elevates it or it heals or elevates nature. Okay. So it perfects nature. Okay. So if you think about creation as the blueprint and you think about redemption as the building, the act mm -hmm. of building, mm -hmm. it would be silly if God were to have, you know, kind of mapped out our, uh, our life and our future in one way. And then in a second sovereign act, we're to have completely scrapped that plan and then done mm -hmm. something completely unrelated and different. That's yeah. what I mean, basically. So some of our, some of our desires are, are like fallen, right? Or they're all basically fallen, but some of them uh, bear out the effects of the fall uh, more concretely, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have like 
a fetish for eating two blueberries at a time while suspended upside down on a swing whilst like trying to repeat the word Zanzibar and you think that this is like an essential feature of your own growth. I'd be like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Could be, but chances are low. Um, okay. So like that might be something that you're going to have to get over, right? Because yeah. if yeah. you're like really, really committed to doing that every day at 10 AM, like you're never going to be able to travel that far from a playground. And you're also going to freak a lot of people out. And like young parents with their kids are going to be like, okay, so you leave now or we're going to call the police. And I would say that those things are all hurdles to you embracing your vocation. All right. Mm -hmm. But, but I would say like, all right, if you have the desire to be of service to other people, right? God's going to use that. I don't, yeah. I don't think a good way to discern is to say like, okay, I want to be of service to other people in a concrete way. And I've loved working with the missionaries of charity. I've always relished the opportunity like, you know, to help out with the food drive or Habitat for Humanity or mission trips or yada, yada, thus and such, right? I derive great, great joy from that. I feel yeah. emboldened, enlivened, encouraged, animated by those efforts. And I think that my life is somehow bound up with that. I don't know how, but I think so. And then mm -hmm. you have the subsequent thought, you know what? Maybe I enjoy those things too much right? Maybe that's an unhealthy attachment. Maybe the Lord is calling me to be a hermit or a contemplative nun. And maybe I should request a cell in the monastery that has no windows. And maybe I should shackle myself to my bed and never leave it. So that way I never draw unholy delight from these legitimate pursuits. Now that's crazy. Okay. Right. That's yeah. crazy. So this is what I mean when I say like the Lord saves you as he created you, like who you are and what you love is a decent indication of what you're made for. Mm -hmm. uh, mind you, there are going to be exceptions to that rule, or some people are going to narrate the vocation story in a way that doesn't square with that principle. But I think that that is what we ordinarily find to be the case. So interesting. Yeah, I've said this in other, um, on other episodes before, but um, when I was 16, I really thought I was supposed to be on Broadway. And I thought that that was the thing that was going to like fulfill me. You know, anytime you talk about like having ideas about your life, like that, that was that for me. Um, and so I went to New York and I did two Broadway tours and, you know, and I, I did what I set out to do and found out that, you know, lo and behold, it wasn't making me happy. And um, it turns out, like, as I was going, that really the, the desire to, like, the desire that I thought I had, like, what I loved was theater, but I needed to, there was a deeper layer of desire underneath that that had yet to be kind of discovered and brought out. And it wasn't until I lived this kind of first dream that I realized, like, actually, there's a, another dream that hasn't even been really realized yet. And I have come to realize that what I love so much about theater is actually a lot of the community around theater, the community experience of live performance. And, um, and I can get that in a much deeper, much more significant way through being a, a Catholic speaker and through my ministry than I do as a theater performer. So even though oftentimes it's a lot more humble than going on a national tour, it's, it's more fulfilling to me, but there's kind of those layers of desire that you have that are deeper and deeper. If that makes sense. Does that resonate yeah. with you and your journey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that, um, you know, like previous to wanting to become a Dominican, I wanted to be married. Uh, but like I had a variety of desires. It's just that there's like those desires weren't especially coordinated. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would have told you at the time that I wanted to be devout, right. I wanted to be given whole and entire to the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted that to be something, you know, like, religious, so, which is to say like cultic. I wanted it to be worshipful um, mm -hmm. in some concrete way. I wanted it to be great, you know, like magnanimous. I wanted mm -hmm. to do great things worthy of great honors because they were great. Um, I wanted to be perf like perfect in charity. I wanted to be like the saints about whom I had read. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just didn't see how all those desires were going to come together concretely. But when then I saw 
like St. Thomas loving the Lord as he did, it made, it made eminent sense to me. Like this is how I am meant to love the Lord, you know, yeah. after the, after the mode or after the manner in which this man loves the Lord, because it's devout, it's religious, it's magnanimous, it's charitable. It's, mm -hmm. it's what I want. And uh, I just mm -hmm. hadn't recognized it until such time as I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And those desires that you're describing are all, they all have a horizon and they all have a, an aspiration and an upward sort of, um, what's the word? And it's a, it's a sense of being drawn upward as opposed to yeah, the opposite. Yeah. So you're describing, uh, you sound, uh, are you a perfectionist? If you don't mind my asking. I'm a perfectionist. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I have a question. I had a question from someone. Um, actually, it's a young man in Switzerland. How weird is that? I had a question from a young man in Switzerland. And he said, am I too? So he is feeling called to be married. He's tried um, online dating. He said it led to some good conversations um, on the platform and in real life. Um, it was a Catholic dating website. And then he said, um, he's waiting patiently and trusting. He's kind of feeling like maybe he's not going to meet his wife through this platform and he said am i too romantic or perfectionist perfectionist in my imagination about the right partner um am i too romantic in thinking that i will have a strong feeling of being absolutely secure because he kind of said like earlier in the email that he was uh he felt that god would just kind of like tell him when it's the one mm. what would you what would you say to him dating advice <clears throat> right i would say so two of my best friends who are married the one got married when um she and her husband went to a concert you know like a new year's eve concert mm -hmm. and they were just enjoying great music enjoying great beer um you know they kissed and they're like wow that's great great to meet you and then they got married later um <clears throat> so there's that and then um one of my other best gal friends um she and her husband like knew each other in high school and then like he joined the military she did thus and such and blah 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 both ended up moving back to the area and then they met up like after a kind of wild rodeo events and then hit it off and got married within a year mm -hmm. um neither of which i would say are like hallmark christmas movie type situations mm -hmm. um in the latter case like there was you know a, a marriage uh outside of the church and an annulment and blah, 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 and that's and so like, it just didn't, didn't conform to the typical pattern that you would envisage. Um, uh, but both are very happy and have lots of kids and are pumped about life, still experience trial and difficulty. Um, sure. so I would say that, um, you know, like happy marriages don't necessarily conform to a standard. Obviously, if you've tried online dating, you're, you're not like thinking that your spouse will, automatically materialize before you. So you're, you're willing to put in some work. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is that, you know, like if you're, if you're desirous of getting married and you're a man, I think your chances are better. Uh, whereas for women, I think your chances are worse because I think that there are a lot more well-adjusted faithful Catholic women uh, between the ages of, you know, 22 and 35 than there are men. So for a man, I would say there's really no need to worry. And that's not to say for women, there is need to worry. Um, but that's just simply to say that, like, I, th I think you'll have no problem. Um, and I think that being anxious about the future can actually inhibit your ability to be free. 
Um, yeah, but I think it's important that you just continue to go to places where you can meet people. Mm. And that's hard in COVID tide, right? It's especially difficult when yeah. like in Switzerland, all the restaurants and bars are closed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like to find good places. Like in Switzerland, there are a lot of cool kind of Lake Catholic apostolates like Adoray and community liberation is big here right. and like a variety of university movements. Just, just go and meet people and then invite people on dates and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, and thus and such. Um, so I don't think that you're necessarily going to know on the first date or on the third date or on the 18th date. But mm -hmm. I think that like, so, so for people who, for instance, struggle with anxiety, I give this advice. If you're, if you're anxious and you've had like a, a series of short dating relationships and you continue to break them up because they don't conform to a perfect standard, I typically recommend something along the lines of exposure therapy, right? Just mm -hmm. spend longer your next relationship. Mm -hmm. So give yourself a date. Um, like I'm not going to think about breaking up until this date. And whenever the thoughts of breaking up come up, just table them, just, just kind of set them aside. Mm -hmm. Because if you're constantly entertaining the prospect, then you're going to be yeah, just like overly involved with your own psychological states in a way that's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And you're not actually engaging with the real thing, the real person, um, so that you can respond to that relationship, so that you can grow in that relationship, so that you can genuinely delight in that relationship. And then when you come to that date, reevaluate. And if you're like, this is better than it was, well, then just set another date, you know, pick another, pick another date, six weeks, eight weeks further, and then reevaluate then. Because I just don't think, I don't, I don't think that you can be in a constant state of perpetual discernment. I think that like when you start dating somebody, you're like, yeah, this, this could work. Let's go, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that you could be very happy married to probably like 18 different people in your canton in Switzerland. It's just a matter of just kind of dating a bit to find out, mm -hmm. you know, who one of those persons is. Yeah. And who's kind of ready at the same time you are. Yeah. 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 Actually, that's really great to hear you say all that. that th that's kind of similar to what I um, encouraged him to do uh, in my reply. So that's really, that's really good to hear. Yeah. Cause you get, you know, my husband and I got engaged five months after we met. Nice. I rarely hear that ever from anybody. And I sometimes don't want to share that. Cause I'm like, I don't want to set up this expectation mm -hmm. that you have to know right away. You know, my husband knew on the first date, he was, he was like, if Stacy would have me, I would marry her right now. That's what, that was his first date, you know, thing. Um, but he'd never been on a date with any girl before. And like, yeah. how often does that happen in the world? Like that is extremely unusual. But then, you know, I see other couples too, who are so happy and they have dated for, they had to date for like three years and figure stuff out and, you know, like really work on stuff before they got to the point where they were ready to make that commitment. And that's okay too. You know, God, God kind of just, um, it's going to be an individual thing, but thank you for, for that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to tell him to listen to this episode. Um, tell him to listen to this episode yeah. and also tell him to help me with shipping. I will. I will. Thank you. He's probably really good at it. You know, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, it must be a Swiss like skill. It's good. I mean, I, I thought, no, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. It's too, <laughs> it's too triggery. My little, my little fragile self can't handle it. Smell your, smell your Yankee candle. Is it lit right now? Is it good? Well, you better believe it's lit. Are you kidding? <laughs> For those who are yeah. listening instead of watching, they're going to be like, what is going on? <laughs> you expect me to make it through this evening without, you know, this Yankee candle? No, it'd be impossible. <laughs> I see. You've, it's already gotten a lot of love. It's like right at the bottom there. Oh, yeah. I would send you another one if it weren't so hard to ship. Thank Sorry you. About that, that means a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll just send you a gift card and then you can ship it to yourself. <laughs> That's, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. You can, but never mind. Stop. Yeah. I can't get concrete about my suggestions or else I'll sound like I'm just like a freeloader. 
<laughs> that was poverty. Yeah, you know? I came on your podcast to ask for stuff. Stop it. Moving on. Keep going. <laughs> Part of my tithing. It's fine. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So let's let's talk a little bit more about desire. So you know, it changes. It's capricious. Um, it can feel selfish to consider. You know what we want as important, and this is a huge area of guilt. You've kind of touched on it already. Um, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people who think that God really wants our sacrifice, but He doesn't want us to have what we desire. So what from a Thomistic perspective, um, can you tell me about like rational appetite, um, you know, using that in consideration of our desire when we discern? So some of this we've already touched on, but, um, you know, love to hear a Thomistic answer for this. Yeah, totes. Yeah. Um, I guess like, yeah, certainly God expects of us or kind of asks of us or prompts us to offer sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, our sanctification, uh, subsequent to the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we'll mm-hmm. always ever assume the shape that it took in his life, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's the idea, you know, behind Ephesians 5, 21 through 32. He's subordinated to each other out of love for Christ. Wives subordinated to your husbands. Husbands, love your love your wives as Christ. Love the church. This idea is that like marriage actually serves as a concrete sign of Christ's love for the church, right? That's what it's meant to signify. And how did Christ love the church? He loved it sacrificially. So how are you to love each other? You're to love each other sacrificially. So yeah, sacrifice is a big part. And I guess when talking about desire, I don't mean to describe desire in a kind of crass way. That's like, what's your vocation? Your vocation is to eat all kinds of gummy bears, right? And to like go to Topper's Spa and also to have deep tissue massages. And it's also to go on wild vacations to Costa Rica, you know, the Caribbean (laughs) side, not the Pacific side. Um, It's not just to say like, you're going to get everything you want because that's a kind of like desire-based prosperity gospel, which is creepy. Okay. Like how is the Lord actually going to treat you concretely? It's probably mm-hmm. going to tear you to pieces, okay? Because mm-hmm. such has been my experience, right? But but I think that like the happiness that I'm trying to describe is more a sense of metaphysical fit than it is of like, yay, everything is awesome. Um, so it's like the conviction that you are precisely where you ought to be. And again, yeah. that's not necessarily a psychological conviction, okay? Because I was not convinced that I should have visited three DHL Expresses today and then subsequently visited the post office, having returned to my convent twice in between those four visits. Although the optician was nice and the library was fine, um, right? That, that I, did, I took no delight in that. But I was, I was walking right. to the third DHL Express up the Rue de Perrault to the Tamoil. Um, I was asking the Lord, I was like, Lord, give me a gentle handling. I was like, I'm feeling real weak right now. I'm feeling like, I'm just frustrated. Like, please, will you have them accept this package and just send it and man, never see it again. And then they rejected it. And I came back and you know what didn't happen to me? I didn't die, right? The ground didn't open up and swallow me whole. Turns out I could have been pushed pushed a little bit further and now I'm okay. You know, like I'm okay. Will I sleep tonight? Remains to be seen, but I'm okay. Okay. So like the Lord gives you what you need to make it through. And that's not just because like the Lord is interested in subsistence rations. The Lord is interested in growing you, Mm -hmm. right? The Lord wants to make you endure, persevere. He wants you to be constant. He wants you to be steadfast because Mm -hmm. ultimately that will make you more fully yourself. Okay. So when I say like the Lord is going to draw out desire, that often means like great difficulty, great, great, great difficulty. Yeah. Right, because I know of no mm-hmm. other way, no better way by which to grow human desire. So mm-hmm. I think that you have the indication in your desires for what it is that you're made to. 
All right. And that by following those desires, you gain greater purchase on those things themselves. But that in order for those desires to, to kind of gain their full purchase or kind of assume their full scope, right, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to suffer for them, right? They're going to cause you great pain. Because if you never desired anything, you wouldn't have mm-hmm. to move. You could just lay on your couch. It'd be awesome in a certain weird sloth-like sense. Yeah. Right. But, but if yeah. once you start loving, then you invite the possibility of disappointment. You set a stage of risk. I mean, like life just gets far more dramatic and with all drama, mm. you know, comes disappointment and comes trial, comes sorrow. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I'm thinking of so many things. One of the things I was thinking of was the Christmas sloth on the, the uh, wrapping paper uh, mm. and about how I'm like, yeah, that kind of sounds great. <laughs> I'd say like, yeah, as uh, parenthood, it's like my husband and I talk all the time. We're like, it's exhausting. Like we love our children so much, but it also is like, it draws out that it draws all of your effort, all of your love. There's that line from the sound of music, um, a dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. And I think that's maybe an aspect of like, when we think love, we're like, oh, it's going to feel good. And then it's like, oh, well, actually it is going to be, it's going to be all of the things. Um, <laughs> it's going to tear you to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Get you to ribbons, you know, but at the end you're going to look back and you're going to be like, man, yeah, that's beautiful. You know? Yeah. And, and like for the people who go straight to like, I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm like, I would change it. Okay. I would I still look back at that and like, I wish Lord that you could have grown me in another way. Right. I wish that you could have grown me in another way, but I can see that the way that you did, you did choose to grow me is good in a certain sense, like bizarre, harrowing, sometimes absolutely devastating, but, but it's he, I mean, like it led me to here. Right. And that's, that's good, you know, because yeah. he was good. Right, right. And I think, you know, obviously the Lord knows what it takes to lead a certain person to a certain thing. And sometimes I'm like, oh, it took him leading me to uh, marriage and motherhood to break me down in these specific ways that I needed to be. Now I can have a little bit of perspective because I've been married for four and a half years and I can, I'm past the like, what is happening? You know, <laughs> like entrance into marriage and motherhood. And I can look back and I, be, and I can see like, yeah, like I needed to be broken down in that way. It sounds like I'm in an abusive relationship. I'm not. Nice. <laughs> it's just, yeah. just to be clear. The great thing about your kidnappers <laughs> is that eventually you begin to like them. And then when they set you free, you return to them. I read about it called Stockholm Syndrome and it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I look back and I'm like, I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> All of my listeners are going to be like, okay, uh, click. Right? Uh, yeah, unsubscribe. creepy. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, uh, but the point being just like God breaks you down in the particular ways that you actually need to be in order to be built back up. And sometimes I, I think, I mean, obviously you've had a day like this where you don't see yet that perspective you don't see that bigger perspective you know it but it doesn't feel like it um and that can sometimes be that's exhausting (laughs) (laughs) but you're doing it you're doing the things um and and honestly i think that like oftentimes you you'll never know the reason for which at least this side of the grave right but i think that Mm. what is asked of you is that you continue to put it before the lord right because when you ask the lord like what is the meaning of this or what is the meaning of my life you get him right 
you get him and your mind is gradually assimilated to the mind of God, right? You gain a greater and greater sensitivity to his providence. Like you can, mm -hmm. you, you, you acquire a knack for the disposition of his will such that you yourself can lend your assent more wholeheartedly to what it is that he's doing. But for the most part, it will evade you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you, you can say, yes, Lord, I believe as you toddle home from the Tamoil having been rejected for the third time, um, right? You can say that like, yes, Lord, I believe. And, and it can feel almost like duplicitous. You're like, I don't actually, I don't actually lend my real wholehearted assent to this, but that's okay. That's just keep putting it before the Lord. Just keep putting it before the Lord and the Lord will continue to give you himself. And that, that's a source of greatest certainty, right? And it's mm -hmm. not a psychological certainty that says like, ah, yes, I have done exactly the things today that I ought to have done. I can't tell you that, you know, mm -hmm. but I know that like, provided that it's the Lord's, and that I didn't completely lose my cool, you know, at the Migros supermarket where like the lady was like, yeah, yeah, don't do it. This isn't, nope, yeah, nope, not going to work. And I was like, listen, okay, listen, you know, I didn't, I didn't lose my relationship with the Lord in that, you know, I had some yeah. sense of it. And as a result of which yeah. it's fodder, it's fodder for growth. It's fodder for conversation. It's fodder for, for love. Yeah. It comes back again to that. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. And it's all about, yeah, the growth of that relationship. Beautiful. So last thing I would love to touch on here before we go is, um, again, going back to the St. Thomas Aquinas talk that I heard you give, um, you rejected this notion that when we acquire one virtue, we acquire all virtues. So you said, um, and I hope I'm quoting you correctly here, you said that each one of us is sort of called to particular manifestations of certain virtues according to our unique personality. Um, and you gave the example, beautiful example of St. Maximilian Kolbe, um, who ex exhibited extraordinary courage. I love St. Maximilian Colby. And he, for anyone who's listening, who doesn't know much about his story, he died for, uh, he was in Auschwitz in the concentration camp. And um, he, he took the place of a man who was going to be put in a starvation bunker. And instead he said, take me instead. This man is married. He has a family. I don't have a family. Um, you know, I'm a Catholic priest. Take me instead. Um, and he died praising the Lord and, you know, in starvation. And um, just so, that actually spoke to me so much in the times that we're living right in right now. Cause I'm like, he died without seeing the Auschwitz liberated without seeing the defeat of the Nazis, but he just like gave his life in this courageous way in that moment. So anyway, you uh, were talking about kind of the interaction of like personality and virtue. So how do those things, how do those things connect and how are, are we supposed to ever know what virtues were actually called to exhibit? Or is it the kind of thing where it's like, People are going to look back on your life and they're going to be like, ah, she was a woman of courage. He was a man of, you know, fortitude or whatever. Yeah. He was a man who didn't know when to stop talking. Um, so, <laughs> so I think that, so it's a classic pagan teaching, actually, that when you get one virtue, you get them all. This is like okay. Aristotle teaches this with respect to prudence. And St. Thomas actually teaches the same thing. He who has one virtue has them all. And that's just like, because you get him at baptism, in effect, right? And all the virtues okay. have a kind of unity in charity, right? So right. when, mm -hmm. you know, like you, you, when you have grace, you have faith, hope, charity, you have prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, you have all the allied virtues that come in their wake. Um, in the Lord's case, like the Lord didn't have faith or the Lord didn't have hope because you don't need faith when you see God, you don't need hope when you possess God, et cetera. Right. But, but by and large, I mean, with that kind of narrow exception, also the Lord didn't have penitence because he didn't sin. Mm -hmm. um, you would have, uh, you would have all the virtues. So who, Whoever has one virtue has them all. Actually, just well, whatever. Side story, and I'm gonna 
I'm going to table. So that. I got that wrong. So you do get one virtue when you get them all. You, you do get all the virtues when you get one. Yeah. But okay. what I did, what I did suggest is that St. Thomas says you don't get them all like, um, in the same express fashion. Right. So what okay. do I mean? So he says that they grow proportionately like the fingers on a hand. All right. So hmm. some will be more like, you know, pinky and some will be more like thumb. Okay. Um, so some of them come to more prominent or more peculiar expression. Okay. Um, and so that's what I was trying to draw out saying like, basically it functions like temperament in your life. Certain virtues will come to the fore more strongly than other virtues as it were, mm -hmm. or you'll exhibit certain virtues, um, more peculiarly than other people do. Okay. And mm -hmm. so that's why I would say, you know, like St. Maximilian Kolbe with courage, I would say a similar thing like St. Jean de Brebeuf, for instance, mm -hmm. or like, um, you know, humility with respect to St. Therese of Lisieux or hope with respect mm -hmm. to St. John Paul II, things like that. And so I think part of the story of you discerning what it is that you're concretely called to do is discerning, yeah, like, like what are the most grand, what are the most bold, what are the most, um, I have this like very small fly in front of me, um, what are the most expressed desires that the Lord has drawn out of my heart? Because those probably give decent indication as to how you're to glorify him. And, you know, was that something that St. Maximilian Kolbe thought about concretely when he offered his life? No. Like you said, he said, I am a priest right? By virtue of who he was, he did what he did. The, the man for whom he kind of gave his life, Franciszek Ivanchek, he actually said he struggled for a while with the fact that he had permitted St. Maximilian Kolbe to replace him. But he said he came to peace when he realized that a man like Maximilian could not have done otherwise. Um, mm. So there are certain things that the Lord does in you, which make it such that you cannot do otherwise, right? They're just very strong, very prominent, very manifest. And um, yeah, I think, I think part of the story of how you give glory to God uniquely and peculiarly is kind of figuring out what that is. And other people will tell you, you know, you can take the St. Catherine of Siena personality inventory, or you just talk to your friends, or you just ask the Lord to make it known. But yeah, I think I think knowing is part of the story. It's not everything. You're going to give mm -hmm. glory in that way, regardless of whether or not you recognize it. But but recognizing helps. Mm, cool. We have never on this podcast yet really talked about uh, discerning like what virtues you're called to, in a sense, because of course you're called to all of them. But yeah. I just thought that was kind of, that'd be kind of an interesting little side street to go down of just like discerning your particular uh, like. I always think of like when I when I envision certain people like there's like a trail they leave behind them of certain qualities, you know, and you think about, um, uh, I'm not thinking of like some a smell of somebody, but that sounds terrible. I think most people I know don't leave a smell behind them, but, uh, but you know, the, the, the certain something that comes out that you can't even necessarily describe where that comes from or why, but they just have that and they exhibit that consistently. And the more, you know, them, um, the more that that seems you, you could look at something, you could be like, Oh, that's so, so-and-so that's so this person that I know. Um, so yeah, I actually kind of think that would be a really interesting exercise to do with your fam with your friends. Um, just say like, what do I exhibit or what do you think, what do you see in me? Um, and that'd be kind of a fascinating thing or maybe spiritual director would be better because your friends will be like, Oh, you're so good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? <laughs> thank you good friends yeah <laughs> well thank you so much father gregory this has been really really wonderful i know we went all over the place but i absolutely loved our conversation and thank you so much for making time i know you probably have to go you know sleep or write your dissertation or whatever mm. um yeah if you ever i'm sure you'll make it back to dc at some point i'm not far so you're so welcome at my house out in winchester 
You ever been out to Winchester? Uh, just a drive through. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's what most people. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. It's very beautiful here. So yeah, come on out and uh, have some tomato sauce (laughs) with maybe, maybe even with pasta. I'll make you homemade pasta too. Perf. That'd be delicious. That's that's another one of my specialties. So (laughs) yeah. But thank you so much for making time. It's been just a pleasure talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. my, My joy. Wasn't he fantastic? I was just so impressed that someone as smart as Father Gregory would talk to me and give me his time. What an amazing guy. So if you're enjoying the podcast, I would love it if you would take five seconds and leave me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show get seen by more eyes. And I absolutely love going to read through all of the reviews. They make my little heart so happy. So guys, stay well. Know of my prayers for you. Please come drop me a line at stacysummerow.com. Let me know about any guests or topics that you would like to see. May God bless you richly and abundantly in this new year. Know of my prayers for you, and we'll chat again real soon over coffee. And don't forget to stay caffeinated because you are called to greatness. God bless.